using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags, always at an ultra low price. They're our best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head to head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm and Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Change Agents Dilemma for Tuesday, August 31st, 2010 on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Heather Stegel, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, as I do every two weeks on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. The show is one of the many ways I help equip individuals to lead organizational change at Enclaria LLC. The Change Agents Dilemma is How to Influence Change Without Authority. And this show is a resource for people who are leading change from the middle to understand how change works and learn new ideas for how to implement it. Today, my guest is Julius Pryor III, who is here to share his expertise in a specific type of change or a specific type of initiative, um, implementing diversity initiatives. Julius leads the Diversity Consulting Group at Your Talent Bridge. He brings a wealth of global global professional experience to our conversation today. He's been the Chief Global Diversity Officer in some of the most well-known organizations in the world, including Coca-Cola Enterprises and Johnson & Johnson Consumer Group. Julius is a sought-after speaker and has delivered a number of presentations to business schools across the country. As a consultant, he partners with organizations to create sustainable diversity strategies that are aligned with mission and vision. Julius, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Heather. This is a this is a, uh, a true pleasure. I'm I'm really looking forward to our dialogue today. Great, me too. So let's just start with the basics. When we talk about diversity, and often I hear it called diversity and inclusion. So I was wondering if you could give us a definition, or, or what does that really mean? Yeah, this is one of the things that frustrates me because the word diversity has been co-opted to the to the degree that it means it means different things depending on who you're talking to. And this is one of the one of the challenges that I face when I'm when I've done the work as a as a chief diversity officer in the corporations I've worked for and when I do the work as an external strategist. Most people have almost equated the word now with workforce representation or or racial or ethnic or gender diversity. And, and what I'm trying to get people to think about is to, first of all, be very clear about what it is you're trying to get in terms of outcomes. And one of the first things that you need to do is to have common language. I hear people using sloppy language all the time. They talk about diverse people as if certain individuals are diverse and others aren't. Everybody in the world is diverse. Um, and so I define the word diversity, and I encourage the organizations that I'm working for to define the word diversity within the context of their organizations. I like to use the definition that Dr. Roosevelt Thomas Jr. has coined, which is that diversity is any collective mixture characterized by differences and similarities. And this is a, 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 an elegant definition, I think, because it allows you to talk about it allows you to talk about a number of different collective mixtures. You can be talking about people mixtures. You can be talking about functional mixtures, you can even be talking about merger and acquisition kinds of mixtures where you're bringing unique cultures together. And it talks about, it speaks to the fact that 
we all as individuals, if you're talking about people diversity mixtures, bring uniquenesses to the table, and we all have hundreds of diversity dimensions, but it also speaks to the fact that we have a number of things in common. In fact, we have much more in common than we have that makes us different. So it speaks to the fact that we have differences or uniquenesses, and it also talks about the ties that bind us together. So I like his definition of diversity being any collective mixture characterized by differences and similarities. That's interesting to include similarities in there, because if we don't have our commonality, you know, you don't have any common ground to, to start from. So that's Especially if you're talking about it within the context of an organization, and I've, I've helped organizations that range from nonprofits to some of the largest um, corporations in the world to some well-known universities develop enterprise-wide diversity strategies. And one of the things I constantly emphasize to them is the fact that you have a lot in common simply by dint of the fact that you're all working within the same organization. You should be able to come up with a common definition for diversity before you move forward and want to develop a strategy. So I really like to emphasize that you have to have common language, not only around diversity, but around inclusion, around all of the other things that you're talking about. It would be akin to trying to teach a course in biochemistry and everybody having a different definition for the quaternary structure of a protein. You couldn't teach the class. So you have to have, you need to treat this as a discipline just as you would any other strategic initiative. I'm going to have to go look that up now, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, why would you want to cultivate diversity in an organization? Well, it, it's, not, it, it's, it's an interesting question because you're not necessarily cultivating it. Most organizations are literally swimming in a sea of diversity, but they don't do a good job of actually leveraging that diversity towards tangible outcomes. Um, most organizations, especially large organizations, have all sorts of diversity, whether they're people, whether they're functions, whether they're operating companies, around them all the time. They don't do a very good job of utilizing that, that diversity to reach some sort of goal or objective. So it's not that you're cultivating it. It's basically you're going to get diversity whether you want it or not, especially in terms of, of representational diversity, of demographic diversity, of the diversity between genders, um, representational diversity based on ethnicity, based on demographics. You're going to get that, and it's only going to become more complex and more more diverse, if you'll excuse the term, as we move deeper into the 21st century. The question now is, are you going to be one of the winning organizations, one of the competitive organizations that is able to actually use all of that diverse power to get somewhere, or are you going to languish and just let it consume you and not understand how to leverage it towards outcomes? So that's the key, being able to put very clear policies, practices, and strategies in place that are going to allow you to get to where you want to go. And this is something that, again, frustrates me about a lot of the organizations that say that they're doing work in diversity. They do a lot of tactical things around, again, workforce representation, or they'll do something around doing work with suppliers that are owned by companies that are owned by women or minorities or small businesses or veterans. But they don't ever think about what is it that we're actually trying to accomplish from a strategic level and how does all of this work that we that we say we're doing connect us to whatever is important within our organization. So again, in a for-profit company, the important things 
aside from the values and, and the mission of the place, have to do with how do you drive revenue? How do you drive market share gains? How are you driving earnings? How, do, how does this relate to how we're valued as a company in terms of stock? You want to be utilizing the diversity within the organization to actually drive those things that are usually important in an organization like that. The other thing that frustrates me is we don't talk enough about the organization's culture, especially if you're talking about trying to do a change initiative. We, we speak a lot about the fish, and we pay a lot of attention to the fish, and we pay usually no attention at all to the water that the fish are swimming in, which is indeed the culture. If you can define the culture of the organization in very empirical terms, then you're well on your way to understanding why certain people behave the way they behave, why certain people are successful in the organization, why certain people seem to get promoted and get developed and other people don't. And the beautiful thing about developing a, a diversity strategy around culture as a foundational piece is that once you do that, you're now doing something that's going to benefit everyone in the organization. It's no longer just a, an initiative for minorities or women or the usual suspects. It now becomes something that helps everyone because usually in most of the organizations I've worked in, I found that there are women and people of color that are doing very well, and there are a lot of white men that are struggling to move forward. What you want to do is design a process, a strategic process, that actually benefits everybody in the organization. And that's how I always try to frame the strategies and diversity and inclusion that I'm helping organizations shape and develop. Okay. It sounds like it's a lot around making sure people can be themselves at work. That's something that's critically important. And um, I've had a couple of conversations, in fact, in the last few days with um, a couple of big corporations that had some very unique value statements. They talked about the fact that they like open doors and open communications. They talked about the fact that they like unique opinions from their employees. They talked about the fact that they like to push an organization that, that values innovation and creativity. And in fact, one of the managers, one of the, one of the top leaders in one of the companies we were talking to said, we really want people to be innovative. We want them to be creative. And I said, well, some of the work that I've already done here in terms of just talking to a few people said, I spoke to a gentleman and I said, what do you think about this, this thing that the organization talks about in terms of innovation and creativity, about risk taking? And the gentleman said, well, I remember what happened to the last person who took a risk. Um, they were basically fired. And so, again, organizations talk a good game, but then, and they may even have good intentions, but oftentimes the good intentions give you unintended consequences. So, indeed, if the culture of the place and what we found out about this organization was they had a very top-down, hierarchical kind of culture where all of the ideas came from the top, if the culture of the place is actually one thing and your espoused values are another thing, you're constantly butting heads with what it is you say you want to be and what it is you actually are. All of that plays very closely to the fact that you can't develop a strategy around diversity and inclusion if you're not being honest about the water that everybody is swimming in. So, so that really speaks to the fact that if you want everybody to actually give 100% every day, they indeed have to bring themselves to the table. And if you have a culture that says, well, we really don't want you to be yourselves, it interferes with your ability to be effective. Um, here's another good example. Let's say that um, you're in an organization's culture that values families, but the 
families that they value are what are traditional and conventional. In other words, we like um, we like women to be married to men, men to be married to women. So if you have a gay, a GLBT um, employee who's working in the organization and everyone comes to work after the weekend talking about the things they did with their wife or with their kids, the GLBT person comes to the office, the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender person comes and he basically has to hide who they are. They can't put pictures of their of their partners or their spouses or their or their children on the desk because it's at odds with what the what the underground culture of the place is. And so again, that person has to spend twenty or thirty percent of their day twisting and contorting to fit what the organization's culture is, rather than using that twenty or thirty or forty percent of their time to come up with the next million or billion dollar idea for the organization. So coming to the table and being able to bring who you are and being able to be open about who you are is critically important to the organizations that are going to be competitive in the 21st century. Great. So what are the general steps to implement a diversity initiative? Well, that's another very good question. And whenever I'm talking to companies or organizations that say they want to do better work around diversity and inclusion, the first questions I ask them is, what are your goals and objectives? And I'll ask specific questions to the leaders about what is it you're trying to accomplish, what are your goals and objectives, and then I'll ask the question around how do you define diversity. And in most cases, I get a different answer to those questions from everyone in the organization. And indeed, I go back to the leader at the end of the day and say, I got a different answer from everyone. What you first of all need is to be very clear about what you're trying to accomplish. In fact, I told them a joke in a way, and I talked about a gentleman who um, was going to inherit a very large fortune from his father. His father was about to die and pass this company on to the son. And the son wanted to find a wife so that he could share his success with someone that he valued. He ran into a woman at an investment meeting was wild, she was beautiful, she was intelligent. He gave her his business card, and she said, you know, I'm going to uh, get in touch with you. And three days later, she became his stepmother. <laughs> so, so again, the point I'm trying to be is to be very clear about what you want. Clarity is the key. I guess that also says that women are much better at, at managing money than men are. But the, the point of the joke is to be very clear about what you want and to be very clear about goals and objectives. So once once I can get the leadership team to be clear about what's important in the organization, and what's important may be market share, it may be earnings, it may be growth in terms of acquisitions, it may be accessing really unique kinds of talent. Once we're clear about what the organization wants to do, then we can begin to build what I call a diversity architecture that's based on some foundational pieces, and then I'll put in some focus areas on top of those foundational pieces, but it all begins with what's at the top of the organization, which is very empirical information around outcomes. The foundational pieces are usually around understanding the values and the organizational culture of the place, and, and, and we do a lot of archival work. We look at the history of the place. We look at what the founders said, look at how it started, how it's grown through acquisitions, how it has evolved in terms where we are in this century. Then on top of the work around culture, we use that work to develop very customized education and learning platforms. And you notice I don't call that training or diversity training. I say we develop unique 
tailored, customized education and learning platforms. Once you do that, then you need to develop a strategy around communication. In fact, in one of the organizations where I was chief diversity officer, I gave each of the leaders in the company a laminated card with three key points on it. And I said, any time you are in front of a group, whether it's for a town hall meeting, a group of your peers, your bosses, your subordinates, be sure you weave one or two or three of these messages into your comments. And after a while, everyone was speaking about what it is we were trying to drive in our diversity strategy and how it was related to what was important in the organization in terms of driving growth and revenue. So once you develop those foundational pieces, then you can begin to look at the focus areas, whether they're around talent management, which will have to do with recruiting, retention, development, succession planning, whether they're around the marketplace, whether they're around suppliers and external partners, or whether they're around how you relate to the community. Most people like to start right where those tactical areas are, and you can't get trapped in starting at the tactics. You have to build those foundational pieces out first. That gives you sustainability. That gives you grounding, and it also gives the organization a chance to acclimate to what it is we're trying to do. And it says that this is indeed an important strategic onus in the organization as opposed to an exercise in workforce representation or souped-up affirmative action. Mm -hmm. So everything that I do when we develop a, a, a process is to be very strategic and to be sure that we are aligned with the other important strategies in the organization. Okay. One of the steps you had in there um – you, you mentioned that you didn't. You mentioned that you did not say diversity training. That you were it was right. more of a learning platform. Can you tell me the difference? Right. Well, there's a unique difference between training and education, and I often like to frame it like this. Again, in a sort of humorous way, think about um, those of you on the call who have young children, especially uh, teenagers or preteens. Would you rather your children have sex education or sex training? That's the difference between education and training. And the point is, training is very skill-specific. Education is building awareness, helping people understand the larger picture. Almost from a manifesto perspective, you're trying to give a large-picture perspective of why, how, and what you're doing and how those things are related to the other important things within an organization. So an education process is ongoing. And it's really building a mindset as opposed to skill sets. Okay. Now, you've been a consultant and you've also been an internal change agent, is what I'd call it, at, when you were implementing diversity initiatives from the inside of an organization. That's correct. How, how do you implement something like this from the inside? You know, how, Where do you start? If you see a need for increased diversity in your organization, where do you how do you get the buy-in for something like this? Well, that's another very good question, Heather. And in addition to the things that I just talked about in terms of being clear about outcomes, being very strategic, I learned a valuable lesson um, at one of the companies I was working at. I was working for Russell Corporation, which is the parent company of Russell Athletic, Jersey, Spalding, Moving Comfort, Mossy Oak, Hunting Apparel. And... I was reporting directly to the chairman and chief executive officer. And I said, this is great. I'm reporting to the big daddy. I can tell everybody what to do because I've got portfolio now. 
and what I quickly found out is that even though I, I had this very elaborate title, even though I was at a certain place in the organization, even though I was at the the executive leadership team's table, when decisions were being made, I still needed to take time to build relationships with influential people in the organization to get things done. Now, most of the influential people in the organization had titles, but in the case of this organization, we had a lot of manufacturing facilities, and some of the people who were influencers had been there a very long time. They were plant managers. They were foremen. Or, again, they were people who would simply been in the organization for a long time and lower to mid-level kinds of positions, but were well-respected by the people that worked around them. So I had to quickly understand who the influential people were in the organization, and I had to develop relationships of trust with them so that they were the people who then took the message out and did the execution. That meant that I had to get comfortable with them, and they had to get comfortable with me. And a lot of what I do in that process is becoming more comfortable being uncomfortable. And it meant that I had to meet them where they were, be sure that they understood how this was going to benefit them and how it was going to make the organization a better place. And then once they began to buy into the fact that this was not souped-up affirmative action, but it was actually going to drive our business to new heights, they gradually began to buy in. Once they bought in, the people who respected them began to listen. And it's a process that takes time. But in organizations, and most organizations are relationship-oriented to some degree, only those relationships was critically important to executing the strategy and helping certain people change or adjust their behaviors. So what are some of the challenges that organizations or internal change agents who are trying to implement something like this face? Well, one of the things is what I just talked about. They don't take time to build relationships. They don't take time to build sustainable approaches. And they don't get clear about what it is the organization is trying to accomplish. One person once asked me when I was working at Johnson & Johnson, what is your diversity strategy for this year? And they were expecting me to give something, um, an answer along the lines of, well, we want to increase the number of African Americans in our company by 2%, or we want to be sure that that um, we're selling more products to Hispanics, or we want to be sure that we're increasing work that we're doing in the Japanese market. And the answer I gave was, well, it's very simple. My goal for our diversity strategy is the same as everyone else's goal, double-digit growth. That was what was critically important at Johnson & and it's what we talked about all the time. So everything I was doing had to be directly related to that. In fact, at one point, I was actually joking with the CEOs about turning the Office of Diversity into a profit center because a lot of the things we were doing were directly tied to how we were driving earnings, how we were driving market share gains, and the other things that were important drivers in the organization. But the bottom line answer to the question about how you actually drive change, especially in organizations that have multiple business units, and Johnson & Johnson is the perfect example of a company like that. Over 200 different operating companies, 60-some billion dollars in sales, units and, and products all over the world. You have to come up with processes that basically have elasticity 
and it makes sense wherever you are in the world. This diversity architecture that I've developed is one of those kinds of elastic processes because wherever you are in the world, you have to be cognizant of the organization's culture and cognizant of the country's culture. Wherever you are in the world, you're going to have education and learning processes, and wherever you are in the world, you're going to be having to develop a communications platform so that you can talk to people in a way that makes sense to them. So those foundational elements that I continue to talk about are critically important wherever you go. And oftentimes, another challenge that I face is, um, in particular, when I was doing some work at a big, well-known university, they said, well, we know that you have a military background. I was an officer in the Navy for a number of years, and we know that you have a corporate background, but we're different. <laughs> and I said, oh, that means uh, you don't work with people. You're working with robots or, or automatons? <laughs> And, and so my point again was that, and as I as I continued to probe them and ask questions, we found out that their organization was very much based on relationships like a number of the other places that I've been able to successfully move strategies forward. The point I was making is anytime you're working with people, you're going to have to work with their foibles, with their nuances, with their similarities, with their differences, and the point is to be sure that you're able to move them forward in a way that benefits the organization and benefits them. Um, what are some of the current trends that you see out there that are happening in the world that, along the lines of diversity? What's going on that's impacting? Yeah, that's a great question. Some of the most exciting work that I'm, that I'm seeing and that I'm doing right now is happening outside of the United States. Um, I, I did a talk not too long ago at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Business, and I spoke to the students about a number of things that are occurring in terms of the virtual world we're living in, how we access information, how we communicate across digital platforms. And as I looked around the room, I realized one-third of the students at the school were from North America, one-third of the students were from Europe, one-third of the students were from uh, South America, and there was another group of students that were from Asia Pacific. They had students there from all over the world. And, and what I continue to emphasize to them is the fact that you're going to get didactic, you're going to get learning from case studies and from the classroom, but the other really important learning that you're going to get while you're here is interacting with your classmates. In fact, if there's something that's happening in Sri Lanka or if there's something that's happening in Singapore or if there's something that's happening in Shenzhen, China, or something that's happening in Prague in the Czech Republic, you should be able to go to a classmate and ask for a on-the-ground perspective from someone who actually is from or lives in that country. So the fact that these are people who come from all over the world, and I've seen the same thing when I've done talks at the University of Southern California at um, – at Cornell, at Georgia State University, there are people from all over the world. And the fact is, they're not going to work in organizations that don't reflect their perspective of what they look as a leaning, a forward-leaning, a cutting-edge organization. They're simply not going to work in organizations that don't reflect their reality of what the world is. So a lot of the trends I'm seeing now have a lot to do with trying to pull people from a number of different generations together to be sure that they're able to benefit the organization. And that people who have global perspective. The other thing that is very, very interesting right now 
is the fact that um, a number of the surveys that have been done, in fact, there was a uh, survey that was just published in Business Week Online that basically said they looked at a number of different Fortune 500 CEOs and they asked them what was critically important. And almost to a person, they said they want executives, they want leaders who are able to manage innovation and who are creative. And in fact, your talent bridge is actually doing a summit on innovation and creativity in a multicultural world in the last week of February, first week of March of 2011, right here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we're going to be talking about a number of those things. Previously, CEOs said they wanted technical ex uh, excellence in supply chain or in provisions or in R&D, or they wanted people who had good financial acumen. Now they want people who are innovative and creative. And that's something that you can't necessarily order or drive. You have to basically be willing to work in very chaotic environments, and a lot of innovation and creativity comes out of serendipity. You have to set up organizational cultures that are open to new ideas and that are open to allowing people to become more comfortable being uncomfortable. That's where you really get the next billion-dollar idea from. Great. So, so where can having people, people with a global perspective. Okay, Happy so people with people find global. out more about that summit. Um, we're, tell them to go to our website, www.yourtalentbridge.com, and they can contact us there, and we'll have information about the summit on the site. Again, that's www.yourtalentbridge.com, and they should be able to get the information there and contact us at that site. Great. Well, Julius, thanks so much for being here. I've enjoyed our conversation, and I've learned a lot personally from our conversation today. So thank you. Well, thank you for allowing me to speak to your audience. And remember, this is all about becoming more comfortable being uncomfortable, and we're all in this together. Great. Thank you. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Julius. Bye-bye. Our, well, our next show coming up in two weeks is about identifying the key players who control your culture. My guest will be Josh Litvorno, who is from Knight and & Bishop, and that is coming up on September 14, 2010, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Also, coming up on September 23rd and 30th, I'm hosting a two-part webinar called Essentials of Organizational Change. It includes an assessment to see if you have the fundamental ingredients in place to implement change, plus a workbook to help you get clear about what really needs to change in your organization. So I'm really excited about that. You can find out more if you want to see if you can attend at www.enclaria.com slash events. In the meantime, if you'd like to find more resources and learn how we might work together to help you influence change in your organization, please visit www.anclaria.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Change Agents Dilemma. Take care and best wishes for your change initiative. Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags, always at an ultra-low price. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. -head. So you'll be happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty.
using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. Time to switch to hefty, ultra-strong trash bags, always at an ultra-low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. There are best bags yet, and they cost less than Glad Force Flex were sold head-to-head. So you'll be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty, ultra-strong with Arm & Hammer Odor Control. Available at Sam's Club. Hefty, hefty, hefty. 